Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. I taught her how to do that. <laughs> I'm just, just saying. This song remains popular, even outside of church circles. And as I was starting to work on it a couple of weeks ago, I was just Googling it up and listening to some of the, the renditions of it. And of course, it's, it's been made famous by many famous people. But I noticed something that I thought was pretty cool. It's still showing up on these voice type of shows. And so I must have watched three or four of the like American Idol type or voice show. I don't really know what they, which one they, anyway, there's a bunch of different ones and I think Simon was on one of them and I think some others were on it, but they have people doing this uh, even now uh, as part of uh, their own auditions for these shows. But of course it was, it was really made famous 
for many people of a certain generation, I won't, I won't tell you what generation this is because they're older and uh, they don't like us pointing that out, but uh, they'll remember Ethel Waters. And I bet Anne remembers Ethel. Oops, sorry, I just did it. That was... Sorry, Pastor Ann. <laughs> anyway, Ethel Waters made uh, this song wildly popular. In fact, it's super popular in the black church and has been made famous by many of the, the preeminent singers of uh, that generation. Uh, but this amazing woman, Ethel Waters, uh, really did make it uh, incredibly famous. She actually it was the name of her autobiography, her autobiography and uh, one of her signature songs, but she was a singer and an actress, and she had this crazy hard life. I mean, it was, when you read about what she went through, and then her meteoric rise to fame, and then the, uh, the crash that she ended up taking, it, it, it's, in, it's incredible, it's inspiring. So, so she, she st her life started really hard for Ethel. It, she was actually born out of a sexual assault against her teenage mother, and she um, was raised in poverty by her grandmother, bounced back and forth between family members, aunts, and things like that. And uh, in her own account of her childhood, Ethel said that no one raised me. I just ran wild. I never was a child. I never was cuddled or liked or understood by my family. She says that she came into this world unwanted and unloved. Taken advantage of by her managers, she literally spent some time in uh, like a circus of sorts. She accomplished numerous firsts for a black woman. Firsts on Broadway, network, and national TV. She had uh, uh, some fantastic uh, inroads she made in making certain that uh, there was a recording and a publishing uh, representation among her people that uh, was, in her own estimation later, was just a normal part of what you would expect. She started trying to lose some of these distinctions in some of her interviews later on. But uh, she was always very proud of uh, the progress that she and many others were making, even in the face of such incredible obstacles. And yet those obstacles were real. She watched her career sort of go up and down and kind of bounce around a little bit. She ended up being married multiple times. She had numerous romantic relationships, including a clandestine kind of relationship with Ethel Williams, who was another dancer. And she ended up a mess of a woman with a career and a future in jeopardy by her own account. And it was then when I think she was 61, that she found herself sitting at a Billy Graham crusade. And at that crusade, hearing about the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus and the tender care of Jesus, Ethel rededicated her life to Christ. And she marks that as one of the key moments that transformed her life she said that her rededication, this happened despite her declining health and her death now approaching. She said that she had finally found her true and lasting peace. 
that all of those, those other things, all of her accomplishments, she had finally found her true and lasting peace. Ethel went on to tour with the Billy Graham Association and with Billy Graham, and she sang His Eye is on the Sparrow as her signature song, made it famous for an entire generation. So why is it that countless people find a such profound and, uh, and, and transcendent comfort from carries with it a fairly simple idea that God is a cosmic bird watcher. Like it just doesn't seem like something that you'd be like, oh my goodness, God watches the sparrows. This is amazing and transforming for my whole life. It seems like an odd sort of a thing. And of course, it comes from the somewhat frequent references that we found through we find throughout the Bible, and especially in the Gospels, especially in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 6 and 10, where Jesus references God watching the birds. And so we have to take a little look at this, and that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at these two encouragements that come to us from this cosmic bird watcher. And so in the, the very first one, if I were to kind of summarize what I think Matthew 6 is about, it's that God tenderly cares for you. And the piece that I want to highlight there is the, is the tenderly piece. And so you might be here this morning and you might have sort of a distant view of who God is to you, to your daily experience, and whether or not he's really connected to you personally. And this, this passage in Matthew 6 really does go after it by using this picture of birds. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So he takes this whole idea of worry and he says, listen, you don't need to worry. You don't need to fret because God's got this. God's got this. Can you repeat that with me? God's got this. That's kind of the gist of what is being told to us here in this passage. That God sees you. That God knows you. And that there is a, there is a tenderness. You see, he understands your needs and he wants to meet those needs. He tenderly cares for the whole of his creation. Not, not a single little bird escapes his notice. Not a one. Not a single one escapes his care. And are you not so much more valuable than they? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. It's saying, come on, if this God is so great and so caring that he cares for a little bird, how much more so? You're worth, we're worth so much more than birds. He cares tenderly. So don't worry. God sees your need and he's watching over you. In fact, he goes on to sort of explain this a little bit. He says that, so do not worry, saying, first encouragement, no, there it is. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I, I, I really love the way this is phrased because 
He says, you don't need to worry, but there's a contrast here. He's saying, you don't need to worry like the world worries. You don't need to worry like people who are far from God worry. See, if, if you're a person and you have pulled yourself away or you have refused to let the eye of your tenderly loving, caring father watch after you, then you ought to worry. Then you ought to be concerned. But you see, if, if you have decided that, that your heavenly father, that you want your life to be under his tender and his loving gaze. And he's, they're saying, you don't have to worry like people who don't know God, who are far from him. You don't have to do that. See, people who are far from God, they, they, they pursue their own plans. They fight for their own security, right? Whatever, you know, whatever they try to wrestle, whatever little bit of, of happiness that they can squeeze from this life. And it's a hard life to do that from. So I think, I think we don't need to live like that. We're encouraged to keep God's ways. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Put the thing that matters most up front in your life. Dedicate yourself to that and let God worry about the rest. It's a promise that he makes to us. It's an encouragement. And he uses the birds as his case study. And so God tenderly cares for you. Now, this, of course, doesn't mean that God is on the hook to give you everything you want. Right? That doesn't, it wouldn't even make any sense. A whole lot of the things that you actually want are bad for you. And so if God were to just simply give you everything you want, he would actually be doing harm. And he wouldn't be a tender, loving, caring father. It would be utter chaos if you got everything you think you want and you think you need. Right, like my dog, Pepper. You guys, some of you have met Pepper. Many of you have met Pepper. All of you should meet Pepper because she is the pinnacle of canine beauty. But she isn't super bright. And so, like, so she begs for eggs. She loves eggs. She wants eggs all the time. Anytime you're cooking eggs, she becomes not so pretty. She becomes this yipey little annoying anyway. So, but she's a beautiful animal in so many ways, except she really wants eggs. And every time she gets eggs, her insides want to get on the outsides. And so it's a massive mess, and I can't, it's just like, and so you can't give it to her. And so, in fact, if I did give her eggs, I would be the opposite of a tender and caring dog dad. And yet, how often we want this. We sort of just think God ought to give us everything we think we want, think we need. And yet, in his wisdom, God says, trust me. Trust me. Trust my goodness. Trust my tenderness, right? You might now, you might worry that God is not giving you everything that you want, but that's sort of the encouragement that he was telling us. He's saying, listen, I tenderly care for you, but seek what matters first and foremost, the things that I am telling you that matter most for you. And when you do that, you don't have to fret about everything else. Now, we get to trust in the care and the tenderness of God. So we don't have to worry or obsessively wring our hands or anything like that because, of course, as we have said, God's got this and he knows and he tenderly cares for you. And that might just be the, the message that you need to hear this morning. 
And some of you, as soon as you say it, as soon as you hear it, you, it brings back memories of ways that God has tenderly cared for you. And that's good and that's right. That's how it ought to be because we remember his goodness in the past and that it propels us forward to continue to trust in him. Because God's got this. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. In fact, you do need to hear that today. Would you turn to the person next to you and tell them, God's got this. God's got this. Turn to the person on your other side and tell them, God has got this. Tell them, no matter what you are facing, God has got this. Go ahead, tell someone that. No matter, you're, you're pastoring and shepherding the people right next to you right now. Tell them that it does not matter how discouraged you are this morning, God's got this. It does not matter what temptations you are facing, God's got this. Now, for those of you who are champion warriors, champion warriors, here I am, I am, I am telling you that you, you, you can't worry, don't worry. And I know, I know what that means. I know what that means, I understand it. As soon as I tell you, stop worrying, you're going to worry about worrying. It's kind of a rough catch-22. Like, I don't actually know what to do because I'm like, if, if I tell you, you really shouldn't worry, God doesn't want you to worry, you're like, oh, no, now I have another thing to worry about. I'm so worried about my worry and all of my worries. But now generally, worry is more worrying me. And so it's like a tough thing. And so I don't want to just simply come up here and say, you got to stop worrying. Because the reality is if you're a champion worrier, then you're just going to worry about that all the way home and you're just going to, and then it'll be distracted by another worry. And so what I, I don't want you to simply merely try to cut worry out of your life. I don't think that's a particularly successful strategy. But I do think we can begin over the course of daily capturing of our thoughts. We can replace worry with something better. I think we can. And I think that that something better is a settled confidence in the tenderness of God. That he's got this. And we take those worried thoughts and we bring them back to Jesus and we say, I'm going to trust what you told me about me and my future. I'm going to replace worry with a settled confidence in your tenderness. Now, God might very well care for you supernaturally. There's all sorts of great stories of how somebody is needing something, they pray for something, and God just delivers it. And those are amazing stories. It's also very likely that God will provide through very natural means. I love the fact that he talks about birds because, of course, birds hustle. You know, they get out there, right? The early bird literally gets the worm. And so, like, I like the fact that he uses birds because he's not like, hey, hang out in your nest, chill out, do nothing, and poof, worms are going to just appear. I'm sure that happens every once in a while, a bug or something, maybe a seed. I don't know. I don't know. But mostly, these birds just hustle. And, and I think there's something really powerful about knowing that, that we can actually, God will provide through very natural means. But we also know that God provides very often through other people. And we have just countless stories of how God has provided for the needs of people here in our midst, in our congregation, in our broader community, through the other people who are here in our community, who are a part of this family. And that's my second encouragement. That comes really to the associate pastors of care, and by extension to the rest of you. But there is a very powerful second encouragement here that God is in control, that God is in control. Christian leaders, 
it is important for us to be encouraged by this great theological truth that God is in control. The universe, the whole of it is under his power. This might not quite yet be sinking in as to why, but think about, think this through. His knowledge is perfect. His, his wisdom sublime. Why does this matter to us that, that, that he has all of these incredible characteristics? His wisdom, his knowledge, his intelligence, his power, his goodness. Why does this matter to us as people who are committed to helping others? Because knowing that God is in control. Theologians, they speak of God's providence. That's what they call it, his providence. And what they mean by that is that it is the, the continuing commitment that God makes by which he preserves the creation and moves all of it toward his purposes. And he will never fail in that. Which gives us a confidence that he has got this that leaders can take to the bank. There's another powerful cosmic bird-watching encouragement, but it is just a little bit more intimidating than the last one that we looked like. So you go forward just a few chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, and the, the background to it is that God is gonna, uh, Jesus is going to send his disciples out on a little missions trip. And so that's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. He's, he's commissioning some new leaders. Sound familiar? And, and, and he's sending them out to represent Jesus in the world, to do great things for the kingdom of God, which is so awesome. By the way, our missions team is back. We just did this. We sent a whole bunch of the student fusion, the, the student ministries and the leaders, and we'll be telling you more about it over the next weeks. But man, we have been hearing some great things. And a huge shout out to the, to the student ministry leaders who were there and made this possible. But we've heard just it was, a, it was a large group and it was a great group and some really significant things happened. And uh, it is just a super huge encouragement. And so yeah, they, we, we sent people on a mission trip. Jesus is about to send people on a little mission trip. And uh, it's, uh, it's a very exciting moment. And so that's where we drop into the story. And interestingly, this is Matthew 10. You don't have to turn to it because I'm going to show it to you here. He says, as you go, he's telling the disciples, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. This is exciting stuff. This is what I keep telling all of the associate pastors of care. This is your privilege. You get to serve God's people in an increasing way. This is such an incredible gift to be able to take what Jesus has given you. Freely you've received. Freely give it. Get it out there. Pour it out. And know that you are going to be raising dead spirits. You're going to be bringing emotional and physical hope and healing. This is incredible. Jesus sends them off. So far, so good. And then he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among... What? Wolves? Did he say wolves? Right? You can kind of see a couple of the disciples, uh-oh, be on your guard. You'll be, we're going to be doing great stuff. What am I going to guard myself? What am I going to guard for? People are going to be welcoming us. They're going to love us. We're doing great stuff. Be on your guard. 
You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged. Did he say flogged? What do you mean flogged? Did he misspeak? We, we like to say that you can't say as many words as we do as, as like preachers and not make mistakes. I mean, they must be like, I don't think he said flogged. When they, when they arrest you, oh, don't worry. Oh, good. We're back to worry. There's four chapters later. Don't worry. What are you talking about? You just told me I'm going to be beaten in jail in front of What? Don't worry about what to say or how to say it. You can almost see the faces of the disciples starting to change. Starting to wonder, what in the world are we getting sent out to? What are we signing up for? But don't worry. He's not done. Because Jesus is going to let him know that, right, don't worry about what you're going to say or how to say it because you will be hated by everyone because of me. When you are persecuted. What happened to the ifs? I thought maybe we could avoid this. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Don't be afraid of those who will kill the body but can't kill the soul. Huh? I don't, I don't think this is what we were signing up for. So associate pastors of care, <laughs> part of the training that we haven't talked about yet. No, I'm just kidding. We have. And then Jesus goes back to the bird watching, which to me, when you think about this happening just a few chapters earlier and it being told in one way and now, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. So let me paraphrase Jesus a little bit. He's like, listen, I'm going to send you out there. You're going to go out on mission. You're going to do the work of the ministry, preaching and teaching and caring for people. And, and it is going to be rough. But don't worry about a thing because if you die, I'm going to know about it. That's a good paraphrase. It's right here. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground. Wait a second. So there's going to be sparrows out there, and you're going to know. That's the comfort I'm taking? That if I fall to the ground, that you'll know? How, how is that comforting? Right now, Peter and Judas are both thinking the same thing. Well, if one of us is going to fall, it's going to be the other one. It's not going to be me. If there's going to be two sparrows and one falls, I'm, taking the, I'm, I'm, I'm wagering it's not going to be me. This is God's providence. It means that God, he preserves us as well and he supplies us with what we need and, and that we're not going to be spared trouble or danger or trials. That isn't the promise that Jesus gives to any of us. Quite the opposite. It is the promise that those things will not prevail over us. Because he is with us. And that we can go through any one of those fiery furnaces. And he is with us. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience suffering. In fact, suffering is the promise for all Christians. That's the guarantee. Perhaps especially for Christian leaders. But we will be preserved through it even to the point of death. See, there is a great encouragement knowing that God is actually in control. 
that we don't need to fret or to worry. We can look at the birds and say all of these things will live for the glory of God as they were intended to. And what God decides is what we ultimately want. And so pastors, we can never let the hardships or the heartaches stop us from sharing the gospel with all who need it. And we certainly can't ever let the emotional burdens of so many people cause our own love to grow cold. And we absolutely can never let the inevitable criticism dissuade you from doing everything that God is calling you to do. We just can't. And we don't need to worry about it. Because God's got this. Because God's in control. My friends, in, in, in all, this is for our, our new associate pastors of care, it's for all of our ministry leaders, and by extension, it's for all of God's people who want to do God's will in this world. We are on the front line of God's care for his children. And he is telling us that his eye is on the sparrow, and that means that our eyes will be on the sparrow. He is sending us out to do his work for him. Which means there will be no one who does not have exceptional value in our eyes. Because that's how he sees us. Now his eye is on the sparrow. It's well known because of Ethel and Mahalia Jackson and Whitney Houston to name just a few and all of those women, they, they, created these, they, they created these inspired renditions of this song. And they, they have actually made it unbelievably famous. And it has become the heart song of countless people because of how they have made it popular. But its origin story is also pretty fascinating. Because, because it started by a couple of ministry leaders around the 1900s. There were these two leaders... One of them was Walter Stillman Martin. He was a pastor, uh, Harvard-educated uh, before Harvard went crazy. And, uh, and he was a pastor at a Christian college, and, and he was a teacher there, and he was married. Uh, and this is during the early 1900s, part of the revival movements in our country. And he was married to a woman named Sevilla, and she was a poet, aspiring poet. And she tells the story of how she came to write this poem, His Eye is on the Sparrow. She said that she and her husband, in the spring of 1905, they were sojourning in Elmira, New York. And they fell into a deep friendship for a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. Real, like this is actual history. Who she called true saints of God. And they did not speak to animals, but Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for some 20 years, 20 years bedridden. Her husband, she describes him as an incurable cripple who had to propel himself to and fro from his business in a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, she writes, they lived happy Christian lives bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. One day while we were visiting with the Doolittles, my husband commented on their bright hopefulness and asked them for the secret of it. 
And Mrs. Doolittle's reply was simple. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The beauty of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped the hearts and fired the imaginations of Dr. Martin and me. The hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow, was the outcome of that experience. A wheelchair-bound, incurably disabled man married to a bedridden, chronic, pain-afflicted woman, woman can, can, be, can overflow with such incredible hope that it brings inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. Cecilia, she, she thought that she was bringing comfort to this couple. And they remembered that God's eye is on the sparrow and brought comfort to her and by extension comfort to countless millions all by remembering that God is a cosmic bird watcher. Just listen again to some of the lyrics. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fear. Though through the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow. I know he watches me. Whenever I'm tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. From care, he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let's pray. Lord, such a simple promise such a powerful encouragement. Your tender love for us is seen everywhere in the world. We see it in the natural order of things. And yet we forget it so often. But you do love us tenderly. You care for us. As we draw ourselves to follow you and trust in you, Lord, you will do this incredible thing for each and every one of us. And Lord, as we set out the trust in that goodness and that tenderness, we know that you have provided for us men and women who will help show us the way. From the Doolittles to Ethel, Mahalia, and many others. And now to this day, to our care pastors and the many that they will impact. You, Lord, have shown us how desperately you love us. Use us now to bring that hope and that comfort to many. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I was born in Guyana, South America. Uh, not too far away, Queens, New York. Brooklyn, I'm proud of it. Jamaica, what's the name is? Brooklyn. Brooklyn? Cake. 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 Okay. Chocolate. Pie. Texting. Texting. Definitely calling. Calling. Texting. Texting.
neither. Yankees. Knicks. Yankees. None. I have to stay here. I'm not going there. Tom and Jerry. I like Popeye. Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. VeggieTales. Roadrunner. Thundercats. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, you can have all the gifts in the world, but without love you're nothing. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But to as many as received him, he gave the power to become sons of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. In him, in Christ, and through him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And I just think that's so awesome. I'd say just coming alongside almost like coming alongside God and uh, working with the church and team and uh, really caring for people intentionally and all that comes with it all the fun things that will come and all the frustrations I think it's uh, a beautiful thing and as I retired I feel that God has placed me in a different realm of caring and now I think we can I can be caring or I can care for people as a whole rather than just a part. Um, I'm excited about caring, loving people, just being a good neighbor, um, helping where I can. I'm most excited about seeing what's going to happen. Several of us have worked in the care ministry for a long time, but this is going to be a new journey and with new people and with a new title and you never know. I just you know sometimes things go well, sometimes they don't. But this is exciting because it's like we're starting all over. The soul care aspect, I think for me, my journey with Christ, it's been as effective because other people have been so instrumental. So I look forward to playing a small role in other people's lives as well. Serving the congregation is just be awesome in this way, caring for them. I think, you know, we're called to community, and people shouldn't face life difficulties alone. And uh, so I'm looking forward to speaking Jesus into their lives in, in practical ways, and I find that tremendously rewarding. Come on out. Let's give them a warm welcome. Do we have one of the uh, sample packs back there? I think the one that isn't, uh, that isn't wrapped up yet. I can see that. So this is an incredible group of people. Many of you already know them, and uh, you know uh, that they have... It's been uh, very uh, self-evident um, that uh, these are folks who love Jesus and love people. And uh, one of the, uh, uh, the, the next moments in this Matthew chapter 10 verse that we were just looking at, in that little section of the text, it ends with an encouragement. It says, that if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. They go, he goes on to explain what a gift it is, that if you give a cup of water in his name, it's as if you were giving it to Jesus. If you care for someone, 
because Jesus loved you and called you to it and cares for you. If you do that, then yes, Jesus actually is saying it's as if you had given it to me. And how that changes everything about what, how we value the people around us. Jesus, he was raising the value of people in that statement so that we might never lose focus. That, that even a sparrow matters and how much more so all of these people whom he desperately loves. And so some years ago, uh, we had uh, this uh, incredible opportunity. We had been growing and building this care ministry for many years. Most of you know that Anne has been one of the instrumental leaders in that ministry. And of course, she brought Larry along very early on. And some years ago, uh, we came to a conviction that we needed more Anne's and Larry's. Uh, and, and so we were like, you know, the church continues to grow. And as we continue to grow, how is it that we can continue to provide not just the, the same sort of uh, shepherding and pastoral care and oversight and spiritual formation that we had? How can we go even further, do even more than we have been able to do in the past? And Anne largely said that, we, that she couldn't. Uh, she said that you already have a whole lot of people and what we need to do is make a whole lot more and we can't clone her. And so she got Larry and then we met with Larry and Ann and they largely helped us understand the kinds of people that we needed and the kinds of skills that they needed in order for us to replicate what they were able to do in the lives of so many so that we could do even more and even deeper and even better. And that was our goal. This was quite a few years ago now. And that ended up birthing for us the Pastoral Leadership Incubator. And that incubator, has uh, it's an application process uh, that uh, all of these folks made it through. And then uh, it's a whole lot of work, a lot of uh, reading, a whole lot of soul care, a whole lot of reading is what they tell me. Um, a whole lot of introspection and uh, different kinds of diagnostics and things like that that we use. And then every month we get together, four or five hours, and uh, we uh, do life together. And we learn what it looks like to follow Jesus as a shepherd of his people. And uh, we've been doing that now for, uh, I guess your interview process started over almost two years ago now, about a year and a year and a half, year and three quarters, uh, that you guys have been in this journey with us. And so I am certainly proud, very, very proud of all of the hard work that you guys have put in and uh, to watch your qualifications that God had put in you just grow and expand and to hear your heart for people uh, and your love for Jesus and your commitment to your own spiritual journeys so that you can be and experience all that Jesus wants for you so that you can give it, right? You cannot give what you do not have. And all of you being committed to your own spiritual formation, this has been uh, an absolutely great privilege to be a part of with all of you. I count this as uh, one of the high water marks of ministry. And I want to just thank you guys for letting me be a part of that. Now we have a little a packet here of uh, items that we're giving you guys, and this will kind of just help us talk through what it is that you guys are going to be doing. So uh, we have your clergy on call little card, and this card is for you when you're rushing over to the hospital to drop it in your dashboard, and so you leave your car there and hope the police still honor things like clergy on call. You cannot use this when you're running into Starbucks. It's, you, there's rules on the back of it. You cannot just use that. Uh, we have some other beacon bling and things in here and, and uh, some merch. As Chris Bell tells me, uh, we're merching 
um, now. And so this is a portable communion uh, case. And so it's got some, some little glasses in there and a little place to store some matzah. And so this is one of the ways that you take the, the ministry of the Lord's Supper to people who could not join us, the shut-ins and people who are in the hospital and, and uh, people whom this might be the very last time they get, to, they get to experience the Lord's table here on this side of eternity. And uh, so that's a way that you can just continue to shepherd and care for them even in those last moments. We, we, have a, a, we get a little name card for you. This is, I'm going through Eddie's bag right here, Eddie. You can put this one on now because everybody's got one, but I'm going through Eddie's. And so that's just in case, uh, you know, you forget who you are um, and uh, to let people here know that uh, you are here and available and ready to uh, pray with and for and encourage and support them. This is your business card because in case you forget your extension or your email or anything that's on the back and everybody's going to, you got your business card. And of course here uh, we have your anointing oil because we're told to bring the elders of the church together and to anoint people and pray and trust that God uh, will use the symbol of this oil in a powerful way to remind us of his anointing and his presence on our lives and um, course here. Um, very, very important. We have chocolate. Um, oh, no, that's not what I was really talking about, but the, it is good. It's 72%. Take a piece of Eddie's. Uh, and we have your key, uh, because not only do you need access to the ministry center whenever you need access to the ministry center, but we also have an office there that we've dedicated uh, for the, pa- the care pastors, the place for you to continue to meet and to shepherd people. Uh, All of your incubator resources will be there and some other uh, biblical uh, resources and and, uh, research books will be there. And of course, the parish map will be there as well to serve as a constant encouragement. And so you you are free to come and to go and encouraged to do so in uh, your work of uh, shepherding. Other other fun things and playing, I won't go through all of them, but all that just to say and to to, uh, encourage you in uh, this new task, in this new work that uh, you are committing yourselves to. And uh, we are blessed and we are uh, very, very proud to have you as a part of the shepherding team here at Beacon. So can we just say a big thank you to them and encourage the MLT to come out, the guys kind of line up right here. So we've asked the uh, ministry leadership team and some of our staff to come on out and uh, just to uh, pray for uh, each of our uh, candidates here. And uh, we've asked, uh, this is so, here's our our ministry leadership team. Some of you know most all of these people and some of our staff as well with Chris Bell and Cheryl and Kelly, of course. We have Conrad. Uh, Conrad and Kelly have been around a very, very long time uh, here uh, at Beacon. And we got Derek, of course. He's one of our ministry leadership team. Eric and Jocelyn. Most of you know, or many of you know, some or all of these folks because these are many of the leaders at the church. And so they are going to be laying hands on and praying for our new care pastors as we install and commission them to the ministry. And so Jocelyn's going to start us off. Holy and loving Father, on a day like today, we come to you with hearts overflowing with gratitude. Thank you for your sovereignty. Because of it, we can rest in the knowledge that you are Lord of all. Thank you for your providence. 
Because of it, we know that you are continually working all things for your perfect will and purpose. Thank you for your inexhaustible love, which has been poured out on creation since the beginning of time. Thank you for the sacrifice of your holy and perfect Son. Our hearts search for words that can capture your majesty, but no words could ever truly exemplify your glory. In your divine wisdom, you placed Anne, Eddie, Larry, Jerani, Max, and Raquel at Beacon for a time such as this. You bestowed upon them the spiritual gifts of pastoral care. To each you distributed a spirit of helping and guidance. As you knitted them in their mother's wombs, you weaved in abundant empathy and compassion. You sowed in them a shepherd's heart and a soul that overflows with love for people. We pray that these gifts would be used to bring a level of care to this community that is like nothing we've ever seen before. That the lonely would become guests of honor, that the hungry would eat at banquets, that the infirmed would be tenderly cared for by dozens, and that the spiritually thirsty would receive soul-quenching prayer and counsel. Father, your word tells us that we are all co-workers and fellow citizens in your kingdom. As these six embark on this most important work, I ask that you raise up helpers for them, that right here in this room at this very moment, there would be those whose hearts stir to join in the care of your people. We ask that you provide these co-workers with courage and boldness to step into this ministry. For our new pastors of care, we ask that you lead them to the people who need them most, that you give them a spirit of discernment and sensitivity to the physical, emotional, and spiritual calls of their parishes. We ask that you empower them with your spirit of love, your spirit of action, your spirit of sacrifice, and your spirit of truth. Most importantly, we ask that Christ would be the example that guides the way they love. Lord, it's unmistakable in the Gospels that you not only cared for the people's souls by preaching about God's love, grace, and mercy, but you also cared deeply about their physical needs. We clearly see the depth of your compassion for people when you taught about what kingdom-minded servants look like in Matthew 25. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's in this context that we ask you to bless and send out this team of associate pastors of care as they commit themselves to meet the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of our congregation and neighborhoods. Give them wisdom, discernment, and a special sensitivity to the Spirit's leading as they minister. Give them boldness and the reckless generosity and compassion to follow the commands you gave to your disciples. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. 
In the name of the compassionate, loving Savior, we pray. Amen. And Lord, we just thank you for uh, this gift that you've given to us in these leaders and the many who even here stand behind them and the many who aren't even up on this uh, stage today. You have blessed us with this community of people who love you and love people and sacrifice crazy for them. And it has been one of the great privileges of my life to work uh, with these amazing people. And I just thank you for that. And we as a congregation thank you for the gift of their wisdom and their kindness and their generosity and their encouragement. And we thank you that we have been able to grow together as a community of shepherds as we learn what it means to represent you well here in our, the midst of our congregation and in our broader communities. And I'm, I'm asking, Lord, that you would do exceedingly more than we could ever hope or imagine. Lord, that you would fill each and every person here with your spirit in such a powerful way and that you would raise up future generations of leaders, that you, Father, would instill in the hearts of many a love for you and for people that is a gift to our neighborhoods. It's a blessing to the nations. I'm praying, Lord, that we look back on these days and we stand in awe of all that you have accomplished through these lives and the many lives that they will impact. I pray, Lord, that we will stand and we will give you the glory in years to come because you saw and did something in your great power and through your tender love that we could never have imagined possible. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. God's people said, amen. Let's give them a round of applause and a big thank you. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.